0: The older I got, the more I began to lose my speed, but in my prime, I cherished the crap out of my ability to get from A to B in a couple seconds flat. I was by no means an Usain Bolt, but I definitely turned heads when I zoomed along the tracks for the competitive meets that would go sometimes until 1 in the morning. Most definitely a labor of love. I always remembered the second year I ever did track and field as the biggest make or break year, despite being a sophomore and projecting to have another two years down the pipeline. No, the sophomore year was the biggest one because I was out for blood. I was hell-bent in every way possible to make varsity, as that was just barely out of my reach the year before. Back in the day, I'm sure the standards have changed since, but... Coronado High School's track and field team had a requirement of hitting specific times in order to qualify for varsity. This means if you, per se, specialized in the 400 meter dash, you could compete against any of the varsity sprinters in any varsity meet the entire season and go to regionals without any hesitation from your coach, but you're only technically on the varsity team if your personal best in a varsity meet is less than 54 seconds, and if you're a guy. As a freshman, I specialized in the 400 meter dash, competed against a slew of varsity sprinters who were definitely faster than me, and got to regionals without any hesitation from my coach. Yet, I was all kinds of heartbroken when I heard my name be called in the awards ceremony for my contributions to the junior varsity team. My best time was 54.25 seconds on the 400. So when the next season came back around, I did everything I could, except drugs, to make sure that I got that letter on my jacket. I ran meet after meet after meet after meet until finally, on the last day of regionals, I basically jumped through the finish line, completely gassed out, and my lungs on fire. From there, because I was only at regionals for the 400, all I could do was wait for the times to be posted. I would habitually take a walk past the back of the bleachers that would have the Times printed out on fresh ink and paper. They showed the 100, then the 200, then the 1x4 relay, then the 2x4 relay, and then the 1600 meter mile run, and then the 4—oh shit, the 4! My coach, my teammates, and I ran our fingers against the lines of paper so quickly we could feel the ink smear against our fingertips. A sprinter next to me found his name, slid his finger against the grid to see his time, and said, alright. The next sprinter came up, found his name, slid his finger, saw his time, and said, fuck! I went up, found my name, slid my finger, and cautiously found my time. 53.72. I broke 54, I whispered to myself. I then grabbed the nearest freshman to me and bear-hugged him like he owed me money. I broke 54, I screamed. After all the lactic acid and shin splints and Charlie horses, which is just the same thing but worse, and all the disappointing close-but-no-cigar moments, I finally had the time to get myself into the varsity team after just two seasons, and to think the fastest time I had before that was 54.05. So if I didn't hit this time, I was going to miss varsity again, this time by five hundredths of a second. And the funniest thing happened with all that momentum and thrill and excitement I felt with that confirmation, I didn't go back to track. Granted, I got a hernia while training during intramurals for the next season, but. I never made any effort to muscle through and carry on for the rest of the season or on behalf of the team. There were plenty of factors that contributed to that, sure. Case in point, my abdominal wall tearing and my guts being right next to my nuts. But mentally, there was this subconscious scripting of, I got what I wanted. Why would I stay? Looking back at it, there were a lot of friends I made through track. And the majority of them I never saw again once I left track. There were a lot of people that it would seem through the lie we call social media that stayed in really good shape after track because they saw how important it was. There were a lot of people while still in high school and some in college that would expand their expertise into other sports because of what they learned what they could do in track and field. All that to say, it's interesting to me that despite wanting to be the best in my school for a certain sport or even a certain race in that sport my interpretation of all that work was this is a waste if you don't have the status of varsity athlete odds are with who the rest of my teammates were no one else shared that same interpretation and because of that i would argue they lasted longer than i did they performed better than i did and they got better at their skills their forms their technique the whole enchilada It was almost like the universe saw my work and said, "Mm mm-hmm, well, since you hit your quota, we're transitioning you to a more on-call position. No, no, don't fret. We'll call you. Borealis Entertainment presents Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home, a podcast memoir by M.K. Lott. Chapter 30. Memento Vivere. In this day and age, we've all got our binge worthy vices, right? For some, that's on Netflix, others on Hulu, HBO Max, Disney, Amazon Prime Video, and there may be some lesser known streaming services that you subscribe to, like Shudder for the horror fanatics, Gaia for the more spiritual folk, which I welcome with open arms, Crunchyroll for the otakus and part of my French weeaboos who pretend not having English dubbing doesn't bother them. I know it does. Peacock, if you want to pay an arm and a leg to watch the Olympics and pretend competing for honor and country is still a thing. Discovery Plus, for the people who believe streaming services aren't becoming the new cable, which let's be honest, they are. Hell, for 80 bucks a month, you can make your own streaming service with your own videos. As for me, most of my addictive personality moves me to YouTube. In some ways, it's been fun, because it reminds me that anyone can do this anyone with an idea and a camera can make their own videos, their own channel, and their own career in some cases. It doesn't mean necessarily that it's easier than a more traditional career. It's got its own trials and tribulations, of course. And I've got my regulars that I've subscribed to all over all kinds of interests. There's Game Grumps, Ace of Clay, Chris Stuckman, Jazza, Jeremy Johns, the Gem Goddess, Corridor Digital, John Beckley, Jack Jacksepticeye, and there's plenty more on the list. But there's two channels that I have been watching on and off. One since high school, another since college. So you can imagine my interest when the two owners of those channels made a new channel that would post a video every day for 365 days before deleting the channel and all its content permanently. Unis Honest. The channel's host, Mark Fischbach and Ethan Nestor, were predominantly in the gaming or Let's Play world of YouTube, with Ethan being the host of Crank Gameplays and Mark being the host of Markiplier. The two had collaborated together on comedy skits here and there, but my god. With this channel, it was like they were absolutely unstoppable. We as a fan base were already looking forward to their kind of styles mixing together every day for a year, and once the first video titled Making Breakfast with Sex Toys came out, we were most definitely not disappointed. They wound up doing one of the largest variety of topics that I have ever seen somebody do on YouTube. They learned Chinese archery, Mark taught Ethan how to be a handyman, They made their own wine, they tried to do 100 foreign accents in one video, they visited a hypnotherapist, which now has an especially special place in my heart, and their previous history and comedic chemistry made it all the better for it. For all my 90s babies out there, Ethan was pinky and Mark was the brain. It immediately caught my attention as a channel that demonstrated what you could actually do with a couple of fun ideas and a partner. At the end of the year, it hit 4.14 million subscribers their videos have been viewed over 796 million times and according to youtubers.me had an estimated net worth of anywhere between 299,000 and 1.79 million dollars there's a stupid amount of factors that determines your income through your youtube channel it's a it's a whole thing there's i feel like there's some youtubers who don't even know the math to all that but You never really took those numbers or the scale of what they did into account until you watched the ending livestream. Mark and Ethan had donned tailored suits, watched all of their favorite videos, and showed some behind the scenes work for how those videos came about, while their editors, camera crew, and fans would jump in every couple of minutes or so to show their appreciation for everything the channel did for them. Naturally, the livestream was long to cherish every second of the time they had left. Like, 12 and a half hours long, but their energy never dwindled down throughout the stream. I would assume. I stuck around for about the last three hours, so I don't know about the first nine. Then, as they observed with a TV behind them displaying a countdown throughout the entire live stream, it was finally time to delete the channel. Mark, Ethan, and Mark's girlfriend Amy knelt in front of the official Unus Honest coffin they had custom made just for the occasion, Amy appeared from around the camera with a laptop in hand, which she placed on top of the coffin, and when she opened it, the YouTube page that gives you the option to delete your channel was already loaded and ready to go. They each held their fingers over the mouse pad, said their goodbyes, told each other, see you on the other side, and clicked delete. Just like all the other 4 million people who stuck around to the end of the channel, I scrambled over to my YouTube browser in the middle of the night and looked up the channel as quickly as I could type. It turns out, they weren't bluffing. The channel and all 365 of its videos were permanently gone. All that's left now are compilation videos of the entire year, which are of course completely out of context. I don't show people those videos because they have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, and. That's in the best way possible. It was so inspiring to see the hard work kick in and realize, holy shit, Ethan's pretty much the same age as I am, so maybe I can do something like that too. This was an immediate glimmer of hope that I could do something this crazy and impactful and fun. It was perfect timing as I spent the next semester afterward preparing for what would ultimately be A kind of goodbye for me. College graduation. It was terrifying to get started and move on. We all know this about me. We all know this about life post-college in general. But I think the thing that I thought would be different was that life would be a gradual uphill slope. Maybe not the most uphill you've ever seen, but uphill nonetheless. What that looked like for me was starting off with a bang and approaching life with the mentality of Alright, I got my degree, I did my academic time, I may have gotten my degree in philosophy, some may say that was a mistake, but at least I took the time to study business management and entrepreneurship in a society and an economy that caters to that. Now I have the skills to do what I want to do and be who I want to be. (laughs) I realize more and more every day that that's true but it's not as linear and seamless as I thought it would be. There have been a lot of times where I look at my college career and yes, it hasn't been very long since I graduated, I understand that, but I think unless you have a master's degree, college is only for the students. Meaning, college is great for people who love to learn, are willing to learn how to manage debt and their finances, and who are interested in networking and seeing people for their potential. But just because you get a degree or a degree that can lead to a successful career, doesn't mean you're owed a certain trajectory in life. College creates opportunities, not guarantees. And I like to think that that becomes more and more true over time. So at times I look at my life, where I am, where I wanna be, who I am and who I wanna be, And I look at people like Mark and Ethan and their success on YouTube, and I fall victim into one of the worst things you could possibly do. Compare yourself to others. Mark dropped out of college when he had one semester left before getting his degree in engineering to pursue YouTube. Ethan, according to my research, never even went to college. And yet, they have very successful YouTube careers. A couple of months after Unis Honest, Ethan was able to buy a house off of his profits on YouTube, and Mark is considered one of the wealthiest people on the platform. Hell, Ethan and I are one year apart. He decided to take a gap year between high school and college to work on YouTube, and thankfully for him—and I don't say that sarcastically, genuinely—thankfully for him, it took off, and he didn't have to go to college. And at times. I feel like I'm going in the wrong direction, or God forbid, I ran out of the time that I was supposed to use as best as I possibly could. But then I think about a moment in Unus Honest that I don't think is in any of the compilation videos that you can find on YouTube, so it really just survives as a memory now. The video was called Saying Goodbye to All Our Guests, where they called every single person they had on the channel as a way of saying, "Hey." We're going away forever, and we just want to say thank you for everything you've done. One of those guests, they called, was Alex Tima. Alex Tima showed Mark and Ethan the joy of cryo chambers, acupuncture, the president's challenge, which I'm pretty sure most presidents nowadays can't physically do, and even went on after the channel to become Mark's personal trainer. But he decided to take the few seconds he had to comment on Unis Onus' slogan, Memento Mori a Latin phrase for remember death, which was the theme for the entire channel. Mark and Ethan did all these incredible things and documented them through video because they constantly remembered that death is inevitable. So, Alex decided to say, that's awesome that you did all these things because of memento mori. But there's another phrase that you should remember, memento vivere. You probably don't need a thinking cap to figure out what that means, but just in case, If Momento Mori means remember death, Momento Vivere means remember life. Remember all the possibilities you have at your fingertips, because you have this life. And if they approached Unus honest with that mentality in mind, I bet you they would have just as successful of a channel. They would just interpret it differently, and may even have the channel last longer. It's just their perception and reason for what they're doing that makes all the difference. So where would that lead someone who's in a position like mine? Someone who took a different, some would say more conservative and safer path and looks up to people like that. Ultimately, I came up with two very unoriginal conclusions. One, your mindset is everything. I could wallow in self-pity and wish my life was like theirs and beat myself up for getting a college degree that many consider the laughing stock of the education world. Or I could be inspired by what people my age and my interests can do, but implement my own capabilities and ideas into that same practice. And two, it's all about the habits you build. Mark and Ethan have gone on record to say this in their own ways, but YouTube wasn't and isn't a get-rich-quick scheme for them, or for anyone. They worked just as hard as, if not harder than I did for my college degree. What's different about them is they developed different habits than I did. I developed the habits of studying, research, critical thinking, writing, analyzing ideas and arguments and details, and being comfortable with existential questions and therefore building a foundation for my beliefs. They develop the habits of improvisational comedy, video production, editing, audio work, video gaming, podcasting, collaboration, networking, and if the modern world has taught us anything it's that there's a place for those. But I think the problem that comes up is assuming that you can drop everything you've done and do something else right off the bat, or think you painted yourself into a corner and you're screwed because you can't do anything about it. Think of it this way. Habits are like trains. The farther and faster you go in one direction, the harder it is and the longer it takes to move in another direction without slowing down. But there's nothing wrong with slowing down if you want to go in another direction. Assuming you can just change everything immediately, especially your habits, is not progress. It's withdrawal, but you can do it. It's just not as overnight as you may think. A lot of people think that that's what hypnotherapy is for. For example, I can hypnotize someone and the next day there's somebody totally different. That's not true at all, because even though I do work on habits on a subconscious level, the conscious mind doesn't always feel like something changed. In fact, I tell my clients to keep a journal because the changes aren't always going to be obvious or noticeable. That's because they're mentally adjusting. And people can always recondition themselves into bad habits again. I know I've done that plenty of times, unfortunately. It's just easier for them because that's what they know the best. And without getting sciency, that's what neuroplasticity is. But that doesn't mean you're locked into something for life or you no longer have enough time to do what it is that you want. It just means you always have a choice, but you get to make that choice or make new choices to rectify the previous ones. Do you wanna do track and field because you like it and you're good at it? Or do you wanna do it because you wanna be on a varsity team and track is the easiest way to get there? Do you want to remember death or remember life? Do you want to be enviable of the people around you or have them inspire you? Do you want to agree with people that your past actions were a waste of time? Or do you want to find ways to make it worth the investment? Do you want to use your knowledge to frustrate yourself or benefit people? I haven't been around on this earth for very long, but I don't believe there's really a right or wrong answer to the game of life. Really, there's no right or wrong answer to the game of life. There's only your answer. And if you don't like your answers sometime later, you can always work to change that. Because if you built yourself up in one direction, you can build yourself up in another. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Get Lost so you can find your way home. I hope this episode leaves you better than it found you. And for anyone interested, you can redeem a free hypnotherapy session with me as long as you do these three things. One, leave a review of this podcast wherever you listen to it. And please, only honest reviews. Two, refer the podcast to someone you may think would enjoy it. And three, screenshot both of these and send it to the Instagram account at mklotprohobbyist. I'll be offering this until the end of the month, November of 2022. So make sure you take the time while you still can. Thank you as always. And until next time, memento vivere.